We left off at verse 17. The Bible says, This I say therefore. So Paul is therefore saying to the Ephesian church, What? Because of verse 16, it is crucially important to understand about the body of Christ that we're all, look at that previous verse, fitly joined together, no matter how different we all are, no matter how feeble the body of Christ is, we're all in it together. So because we're all in it together, it is important, as Paul says, that we should be edifying one another, that it should be pure not consisting of wrong doctrine, and also it should be done in unification. It should not be splitting. With this body of Christ in unity, Paul says, that's why I want to tell you this. What? He says, and testify in the Lord, verse 17. So he's going to testify what God says. He's speaking in the Lord. What does God want you to do? that he henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. So Paul is saying that henceforth, which is another word for therefore, this time forward that you should not walk as other Gentiles. Gentiles, remember, are unbelieving people who are not Jews. If you think about every other nation that is not a Jew and that is a Gentile, that is an unbeliever, they are wicked, uh, they're pagan-minded, they are filled with pride and wickedness. So why does Paul say to the church that we should not walk as them? Because we're the body of Christ, we're no longer a part of the family of Satan. We're no longer a part of the world system. We're definitely separate from the world. Being separated from the world, we do not follow what the world does. We do not follow as the other Gentiles walk. Because the body of Christ, remember the point is, is that it has to be pure, pure, holy, and growing. It cannot grow when there's sin. In order to understand the state of the Gentiles, the world, our pagan world, it goes along these following steps. So you might wonder, how did America become what it is today? This is the same thing with your life when you live in sin. So this is very important. It starts out, the first part, in the vanity of their mind. The world, the way they walk, where we, the body of Christ, do not walk accordingly, is that they start in the vanity of their minds. So usually, sin starts from the mind. What does your mind think about? Television and the internet is one of the most wicked, devilish things that makes you covet, makes you follow after the world's pattern. Um, you look at other people around you, you get jealous and you want to be like them. So the mind wilds ru uh, running wild, you see all these uh, models that's shown on billboards and dirty magazines, etc. And then we live in a day and age where little children see that and young girls say, I want to look beautiful like that, and that's all vanity. You have a magazine that calls itself vanity. And that's what God calls it. It's basically vain. It's all for nothing. M the mind runs wild on nothingness. Remember, you tell yourself that when you look after the world. So whenever your mind looks at, at all the things of the world, tell yourself this, is that you're just looking at nothingness. It starts from there. 
Because once you, that's how the devil tricks people into sin like Eve. He gives Eve the vanity of the mind. Look at that fruit. He gives him enticing advertisement. Ye shall be as gods. That's why internet television, those ads are one of the most demonic things. It deceives people. It makes them vanity in their minds. Let's keep reading. Having the understanding darkened. Ah, so now you get to a point where your understanding is darkened. There's no light in your understanding. Light of knowledge, light of truth, it's darkened. So now you get a distorted understanding. Now you start to justify. So if you see all these fancy things that you don't need to buy, that you don't need to have, but you want to buy them, your understanding's darkened that it's not that I want, I need. Mom and Dad, you need to understand why I need that toy. But you grown adults act the same way. Father God, you got to understand why I need that thing. Amen. So your understanding's darkened. You start to justify the worldly things that you have. The reason why the understanding is darkened, it says being alienated from the life of God. So they are alienated like alien, meaning you become a stranger. You become strangered, so to speak. So you become a stranger from God's life. That's the thing that's different with us and them. So notice that the body of Christ, did you see that? We're not supposed to walk as other Gentiles walk. You see that in the text, right? Meaning that we're supposed to be different from these guys. Why? Because we have the light of Jesus Christ. Having the light of Jesus Christ, we are distinguished from these Gentiles. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, as he says at the book of John. And he is inside us. He is the light. He is the life. We get eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let me know if this is kind of pale. If it is, then I'll make it darker, the wording. But if this is considered light and life to us when we got saved, that means we have to be different from the wicked lost world out there who do not have the life of Jesus Christ. That's why their understanding is darkened. So it's natural to understand why the world does not think like you, does not act like you. The reason why is because they're not saved to begin with. If they're not saved, they don't have the light of Jesus Christ to begin with. They'll never understand why you do things what you do, no matter how well you explain. Because their understanding they just don't have darkness. Their understanding itself is darkened. Look, uh, no matter how this wicked world runs with the COVID situation, they keep saying safety measures for the public good. See, that's their understanding, which is different from the Christian world. We walk by faith. It is necessary to serve God, to worship him, to win souls, the gathering together of believers, etc. So that's why their understanding is, will always be different from the Christian understanding. But it is also important to understand two things. One, we're definite, this proves that we're different from the wicked world. And evidence and proof that you have life, the Christian life in you, that you're a saved person, is your understanding is different from them. 
So that's number one to understand. Number one, it's evidence of your salvation, which is good, which is very assuring. But number two, it also shows that a Christian can fall into this understanding darkened. Otherwise, Paul would not even warn them, wouldn't even tell them at verse 17. He wouldn't even tell them that at verse 17 and 18. Don't follow like the, don't walk like the other Gentiles walk. So that's important to understand is that, see, the Christian walk is totally different from your salvation. A Christian can contaminate the Christian walk. Paul Washer gives a horrible impression, even if he probably doesn't mean to, but he gives the idea that the Christian walk or fellowship is pretty much the same as your salvation. Now that's baloney. It's total bogus. Christian salvation is totally different from Christian walk. So your salvation, no matter how many times you live in sin or in wickedness, you're saved no matter what. You can never corrupt your salvation, but your walk you can corrupt. As a saved Christian, you can corrupt your Christian walk. That's why Paul says, don't walk as the other Gentiles walk. But at the same time, it also is good preaching uh, against the easy believism crowd who don't believe that once you get saved in the Lord Jesus Christ that there's a difference. No, there is a difference because now that you have the light and the life of Jesus Christ in you, then your understanding is different from the Gentiles. God gives you a light understanding. The only problem you have is you choose not to follow that understanding because you have two natures. You have the light of understanding in your spiritual nature inside you. See, it's inside you. It's not on your flesh. It's inside you, the Holy Spirit nature. So you can choose to follow that or you can choose to follow this outward old man which follows after the Gentiles, how they walk. And Paul even said those two clear distinctions of the two natures later on at the book of Ephesians that we will see. Now let's keep reading. Being alienated from the life of God, this is done through what? Through the ignorance that is in them. So see, they deliberately choose ignorance. Understanding is, darkness, is darkened because they choose to ignore because of the blindness of their heart. Because their heart is blinded. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And then we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel. Open your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And then we're going to look at Ezekiel 14. Look at the book of Ezekiel. And then we'll look at verse 14. Now 2 Thessalonians 2 is another place, but we're not going to go over there. The understanding, notice, is darkened. And why is it darkened? And as you walk, you're in danger of falling into this darkness. The understanding is darkened because it comes through a matter of choice. And in the walk of life, there is a sign. And like I told you before, two natures, right? Two natures. You can choose to walk the way of the flesh. Or you can choose to walk in the way of the spirit. If you choose to walk in the ways of the flesh instead... 
The only way you could do that, because you have the Holy Spirit inside you that's giving you light. It has to be. No matter what the easy believism crowd says, and they don't believe that there, is, uh, there isn't a difference that uh, they tried to deny the repentance part. No, because the Holy Spirit is inside you, there is, uh, the Holy Spirit is grieved. The Lord has to chasten you. There is conviction because you're his child. He has to set you at the right path. So you have to have uh, light and life in you. But the point is, is that even though you have the light and life inside you, you can choose, choose to ignore this and choose the flesh instead. And that's where Lordship Salvation gets it wrong. Now remember, Lordship Salvation, again, what that is, is that Paul Washer crowd thinking that you have to follow the ways of the Spirit. There is a significant change. But to be quite honest, no, you could actually, even though there's a difference with the new nature, you can still remain the same in the flesh. Nothing changed of the flesh. The flesh, you can choose this part and remain the same as you are in sin and be just as wicked as other Gentiles, how they walk. Because you make the choice, and that's done through this key. Ignorance is key. You know that, too, because everyone here sins, and I know that when you sin, you ignore. Ignorance, ignorance is bliss, as they say. So you forget the preaching and the conviction that you heard Sunday. You forget, uh, you skip Bible reading and prayer, and then you malnourish yourself through ignorance to build up the ways of the flesh. It can go on and on and on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, they, get, they blinded their heart. See, so the ignorance comes because their heart desires what it wants. And that's all done by Satan. So if they don't have the light of Jesus Christ, the unbelieving Gentiles have this at verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. Now notice that. See, they read the Gentiles, they do not have light and life. That's why they're in darkness. They're stuck in here. Go to Ezekiel 14. Now, you're in danger of that because the danger is it depends on the idols that you set up in your heart. And you've got to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You've got to surrender those uh, idols to him. MacArthur keeps giving the question like, is the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, etc.? If he's not, then you're not really saved. No, that's not really true because... No matter how much you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, as time passes on, you're going to find more idols that you didn't expect to have in your heart before. So look at Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 4. Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, every man of the house of Israel that setteth up, look at this, his idols in his heart and put the stumbling block of his iniquity before his faith and cometh to the prophet. This is scary, look. I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Now look at that. The Lord will help you out. That is very scary. Sometimes you've got to understand this, that as you walk in the ways of the flesh, the scary thing is that the Lord God Almighty, He could just pretty much leave you well enough alone. And you don't want that in your life. You don't want God Almighty Himself 
leaving you well enough alone. You actually want Him to keep dealing with you, chastening you. And He is doing that with you out of mercy and grace because that's His job as a father. But you know what's scary is that even though the Lord scourges you, you can still choose to ignore His chastening like any bratty child would and just keep following the ways of the flesh. And you know what? No matter how much He chastens you, just like a normal father would, they would just give it up because they know it's pointless from that point onward. Now let's go back to the book of Ephesians. All right, now this is going to be a lot of good preaching. If you're already uncomfortable, there's so much more. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts. There's so much more. This whole, the remaining part of the chapter is going to be about dealing with sin and how to get spiritual victory. So if you like that, then you're really going to enjoy today's teaching. Today's probably going to be your favorite. The last, last time we talked about Ephesians was dealing with wrong doctrine, right? To have a unification of the body of Christ and a pure body of Christ. To also have a pure body of Christ requires sin being kicked out of your life. So that's the next part of this whole chapter. Let's keep reading. This one is good preaching. This one is good preaching. I even preached a sermon on this. Verse 19, who being past feeling. Now you see that? Now they're past the feeling. Why? Because even with an unbelieving Gentile, when they look at something shameless and they see uh, they become shameful about it and it becomes very shameful, something where it becomes a little bit more nude, for example, etc., then the child or somebody who first sees that will blush honestly. But when you constantly keep getting into that stuff and looking into that stuff, what happens? Then you become past feeling. Child gets a guilty conscience smoking the cigarette behind the parent's back or doing some sort of drug uh, behind the school's back or grown adults, etc. But what happens? Once they keep doing that, they don't hide anymore and they're past feeling. Guilt of the conscience goes away. So is that where you are right now? As a Christian, you can be past feeling in the sense where the Holy Spirit is being grieved constantly and you're so used to that that you're past feeling. Very quiet here. All right. I told you it'd get worse. All right. Keep reading. Now, this is where it gets dangerous. You notice it comes to vanity, right? Starts with the mind first. You become very vain. Then your understanding gets darkened. You keep justifying yourself. Then it comes to a third step here. The third step is now that you're past feeling and you sink all in, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. Now, I don't know if you know what lasciviousness means, but that's really, really dark, uh, wicked stuff. Something dark, sexually corrupt that you could hardly even think about. Use your heads now. A person doesn't become a child molester unless he started somewhere back at the beginning. You just don't become a pedophile like that. It starts somewhere where you grow up, in, where you become vain and imagine. And then you keep justifying, justifying. And then you keep committing the sin that you go all into it. How about you, Christian? How about you, church? So look at this now. Look at the steps. Number three is past feeling. So now you get over that conviction. But then four, you dive all in into lasciviousness. This is bad. 
So sin will take, uh, you go one foot with sin, sin, it'll take you a mile longer. That's what the saying goes. Sin will always take you far, farther along than you want to go. You thought that you're in control. You made the choice. But trust me, sin is the one who deceived you and took control of you now. And you're going by like an enslaved robot to how sin goes. You died in. It grows into something big. In fact, uh, lasciviousness, keep reading, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now look at that. To work all uncleanness. That matches so well. It's so dark into lasciviousness where you dive in, but now you commit all sorts of sins. Your work in your life, your works is not consisting of good works for the Lord. It's all kinds of evil works with all uncleanness. Now, if Paul warned that to the Ephesian church, that is great evidence there that lordship salvation, it is totally uh, heretical, thinking that a saved Christian will never commit the worst kind of sins like a pedophile might commit. But you got to realize that, yeah, you can get to that point. You can get to a point of murder, etc. That's why you have to be extremely careful. To work all uncleanness with what? Greediness. Ah, so the next step. The next step is greed. Now, why would the verse end it in greediness? You ever wondered about that? The reason why the verse ends with greediness is because when you dive all in into sin, greed will build up. I want more because it's not enough. I'm immune to it because I'm already past feeling. And I want to build up my feeling. Why do you think drug addicts will get heavier and heavier into drugs? Why do you think something sexual becomes dark and dark and dark? Why do you, where do you think a homosexual got to where he or she is at today? Where do you think that pedophile got to where he or she is at today? Where do you think the mass murderer ended up where he or she is at today? Talk to Ted Bundy. Talk to all these people. Be their counselor and psychologist. They'll tell you all the way back where it starts. It doesn't start with murdering someone. It starts with something small at the beginning. Every murderer, every criminal in prison today starts out with something small at the beginning. And they're used to committing that sin and then past feeling. And then they're just greedy. They want more. All right. With that conviction in place, let's give you some good news, okay? Verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. Obviously not. So the meaning of that verse, which is pretty simple, is Jesus Christ says that you, I didn't teach you that way. God never taught you that way. God Almighty never taught you to live your life in such ignorance. Jesus Christ never, ever taught you to live your life in sin or iniquity. You never learned that. The ignorance is what's cutting off Jesus Christ, as you might notice in this picture. That's your ignorance. That's not Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ teach you? So, think about this. Think about the fruits of this wicked world, where it's at today. Liberals justifying their sins. Homosexuals justifying their sins. Saying that Jesus loved everybody. Jesus tolerates all religions, etc. That is all vanity of mind, understanding darkened, past feeling, diving into sin, and they're just greedy. Guess what? This is not the worst that we're in. It's going to build up more. 
But all of them are now thinking that this is Jesus Christ loves all of us, so we should love each other. That is baloney, that's garbage, that's pure, utter wickedness and filth from hell. That is lasciviousness. All of that stuff you did not learn from Jesus. So remember that. You, didn't, you never learned that from Jesus. Jesus Christ did not tell you to be gay. Jesus Christ never told you you were born that way. Jesus Christ, stop that baloney. Because look at verse 21. If so be that ye have heard him. Okay, so ask those same people who say, Jesus said to love everybody and, you know, why can't you love other people? Tell them this. Well, if you already heard about what Jesus told you, right? That's what verse 21 says. Okay, if you heard what Jesus told you, then what? And have been taught by him. Did Jesus teach that to you? Tell them that. Because if you truly heard Jesus, been taught by Jesus, read the next part, as the truth is in Jesus. Ha! Huh? So Jesus is the truth. He'll tell you the truth. Why do you have to ban information? Call that hate speech. Huh? Huh? You wicked, sorry, wicked devil dog. You are, man. Wicked evil people. Censoring information. Hate speech and... You know, these kind of people, they are not of truth. They're of a lie. Purely of lies. If they truly heard from him, been taught by him, look at verse 22. That he put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. See, you would have put off the fleshly nature what your flesh wanted. Jesus Christ would have fully taught you that. That's what he would have taught you. But you don't do that. You just condone the ways of the flesh. You parade it shamelessly on the streets so that all the little children can see your filth. Shamelessly. I kid you not. Harmless people, loving people, don't fool me, man. Now, let's break down verse 22. That he put off concerning so what are you supposed to put off it's as if you're wary you're not supposed to be a part of this guy and that's your flesh concerning the conversation the old man see it's what you're putting off concerns with former conversation the old man so this is known so now we see the body of Christ, which is a spiritual nature. Let's cover it with the fleshly nature. So this is, this purple guy is the old man here. So this is the old man, but you're not supposed to be the old man. You're supposed to be the body of Jesus Christ. That's important to understand. Now, how do we know? Notice it says old man. Why is that? Because he was our old man. We were from him. But now we're part of the new person inside us. So this is now old to us. It's no longer new, up to date. It's no longer in par, apart with us anymore. So that's why we call this the old man, our flesh. Now we know the old man it has to be the flesh because the next part, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So uh, that's obviously a reference to flesh. The flesh has lusts. Whatever the lust of the flesh wants, it always deceives you. Does it not? 
Look at James 1, James chapter 1. Now, notice how this matches well with these steps here. The walking of the Gentiles. You see these steps here? Why is their understanding darkened? Because of the vanity from their mind. That matches with your flesh. It all has to do with flesh. Lust of the flesh, what it wants, deceives you. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, notice at verse 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So notice here that verse 14, when temptation comes, it is by lust, and the next part of verse 14, it entices you. It entices you. It is always deceptive. It is always deceptive. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Lust deceives you. And the King James Bible words it as put off the conversation. Now some of you might not know this, but conversation is referring basically to your lifestyle. Like your testimony. Basically, even today when you do your conversation, it shows who you are as a person, right? So this Old English wording is actually not too difficult to understand because King James Bible is Old English wording. The conversation is an accurate translation basically representing who you are, your old lifestyle. So you have to put off your old lifestyle from the old man. Modern translations think it's such a hard word, so then they have to update it. But if they don't update Shakespeare and say, leave it alone, then why don't you leave God's book alone? I think God is better than Shakespeare. So the conversation, your lifestyle, has to be put off. It's a deceitful lust. Now, I want you to look at the following steps. Verse 22 says, put off. Remember I mentioned that? Because it's not a part of you. You keep putting it on, church. You got to put it off so, because it's no longer a part of you. Now, this is a key toward the victorious Christian life. Always let me know if I'm out of bounds. To always give victory in the victorious Christian life is found in the following steps. Within these following steps, this is how it works. The first part is putting off. Now, I gave you a teaching, which I highly recommend. It's called The Victorious Christian Life. It will give you basically the three secrets in conquering temptation and sin. It will give you the three steps in overcoming anything in life that the devil might attack you with. But I'm going to give you three other things from the book of Ephesians 4 on how you overcome sin. Notice the first part is putting off the flesh. Now that's important. Usually, now there's nothing wrong with this. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with this. But there are times it don't work, right? Sometimes you'll sing a hymn. Sometimes you'll quote scripture to try to get rid of the temptation and lust. 
But a lot of times that temptation and lust may be too great that you just fall into it, right? So sometimes that happens. Even if you try to pray it out, read the Bible, memorize scripture, there are times that it gives you victory, but then there are some people who are just so caught up in the flesh and they just want to be honest, all right? And they're going to just be honest with you. They're going to be honest with you. They're going to say, it's just too much. I can't do it. I can't take it. Why is that? You ever thought about why? Because the reason why this is important, think about it, they're debating it in their mind. Did you understand that? They're debating with sin in their mind. When you deal with sin, this is so important to understand, you don't debate sin in your mind. You don't debate it where, hey, okay, Scripture, uh, will you win or lust, will you win? No, when you keep debating it off, then you're just gambling with sin. You're giving sin a possibility to win. You're giving it a debate platform. You never, ever want to do that. You know what the Bible says with sin? I'll tell you what it says. Flee also youthful lust. You know what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife seduced him? He didn't take time quoting scripture or debating in his mind or praying about it. You know what he did? Run away! Now, that's your problem, see? The reason why you fall into sin is that it doesn't come from the mind where you recall a sermon or a message or a memory verse. You're going to notice that's the next step at verse 23. Notice verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, which means what? You have to renew yourself. You have to make yourself new again because you're at that old thinking, that old man, so you have to... Get a grip on yourself and do it like a new thinking. Renew yourself in the spirit of your mind. You have to make your mind think, what's wrong here? What do I have to do to conquer it? But that comes from the spiritual nature. Spirit of your mind. See? Spirit of your mind. So the spiritual nature has to do the thinking for you. Now, did you notice your problem? If you look at the previous verse, at verse 22... 22, this is your problem. You gave sin a debate platform. You gave a part of your mind to sin, even though you were giving a part of your mind to the Spirit by quoting a memory verse. Did you understand what I just said? This is extremely important to understand. The crucial pivotal point to conquer sin is not where you sing a hymn or you just quote a scripture verse or you pray about it, because it does work. Those things work, but you're timing it wrong. The problem, and sometimes it does work when you do that, but the problem is this. It will not work 100% if your mind is operating on memory verse, singing a hymn, praying about it, when another part of your mind is giving a debate platform to sin. Do you understand? Because usually when you're drawn away from temptation and sin and you quote a memory verse to try to chant it away, see, you're, uh, what you're doing is uh, you have a memory verse in your mind while having that sin in your mind. See, you're giving a debate platform. Which one's going to overcome? No, you don't do that. Okay, what you do is you get rid of this guy first, all right? So when you're... Look at that. See, you, you have a TV screen. You watch something that you shouldn't. You know what you do? It's not a time to quote a memory verse at that point. When they're showing you the next scene and the next scene and the next movement, etc. That's not the right time. The contemporary music is really bad. 
the next music beat, the next music beat when you're quoting a memory verse? No. Shut it off! Shut it off. Put off. You put it off first. And then the second point. You let the spiritual nature think for you. I hope this is helping you. This is going to really, really help your life. Spirit from your mind. Now you get your mind thinking. And then you tell yourself, what just happened here? What did I do wrong? Recall the sermon that you listened to that convicted you. Recall the memory verse that helped you. Your mind's got to be operating. I think it's time to pray. I think it's time to read the Bible. Then your mind starts to get into sanity. The mind will not run to sanity when you keep putting on uh, insanity. Does that make sense? Your mind's not going to think soberly if you keep drinking alcohol. If you keep putting that alcohol down your system, it keeps making your mind insane. No matter how much sanity you try to let the spiritual nature run in your mind. God's Holy Spirit cannot run at the same time when sin is running. Does that make sense? So you need to put off sin, then let the mind run. Now, if sin is so great and your flesh really wants to do the sin, the good thing to do is this, all right? When you... Now... I don't want to say this where I sound like a tempter or evil, but I'm saying this for people who are really desperate and who really are hooked into sin. So let me just say this, okay? You might say it's hard to put it off, right? It's very difficult, I know. But look, it won't hurt to put it off for just, put it off, put it off for one minute. Put it off for one minute and let the spiritual nature run your mind. It won't hurt. For those who are extremely desperate, I want to say that. I'm not saying that, uh, I'm not condoning where you can go back to sin immediately after that. You know, that's between you and God. But the point, the reason why I'm saying that is for you who are desperate, where the flesh runs and say, don't turn it off. Don't put it off. Keep putting it in your mouth and et cetera, et cetera. Don't do it because you know it's so good. And just tell that flesh it won't hurt to put off for one minute. Amen. Just hold off for 60 seconds. Just stop. Flesh, will you shut up for 60 seconds, please? Amen. Just say 60 seconds. Look, you run my life the past few days and weeks and months already, so why don't you shut up for 60 seconds? Just do that, and then let the Spirit speak to you and let your mind run. Think about all those sermons, huh? Memory verses. Get some sanity in you. Pray. Talk to the Lord. And that's where verse 24 comes in, the last step. And that he put on the new man. Ah, now you put on the new man. And that he put on, so it's put off flesh and put on the new man. Because this is the real you, the new updated version of you. So this is the real you. Put on the new man, which is your spiritual nature, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. God created your new nature where it's intended for righteousness and true holiness. It's created, the spiritual nature is holy. It is holy. 
So that's why at Ephesians 2.10, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, I believe, uh, yes, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it, verse 17, it talks about where there is, you become a new creature. God created something you new within you where you created unto good works. Why? Because you have a spiritual nature inside you that craves for holiness, that craves for righteousness. One thing I do not like about easy believism, guys, is that they try to weaken the power that you could use to overcome sin. And it gives people a wrong impression, even though they don't mean to, but it gives them the wrong impression that what salvation does, it does nothing for you. It gives you no power to conquer sin. It's as if you're the same as you are. All it does is saves your soul. No, salvation does more than that. It gives you a creation to do good works. It gives you that. But you have a choice to choose it. This guy or this guy. That's why we're different from Lordship Salvation. So number three, uh, it says here that it's you put on the new man created after holiness. So think about this, church. No matter what your flesh feels, the spiritual nature inside you is, is, that verse guarantees it. Don't let easy believism, don't let your flesh, don't let your weakness, don't let the devil tempt you out of this. What's inside you is so powerful. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Prayer works. Listen up now. Prayer does work. Memory verse does work. Bible reading does work. Singing hymns does work. The reason why it didn't work to you is you didn't do this guy. See that? What you need to do uh, is you have to put on that spiritual part now. Put on the spiritual part, delve yourself into Bible reading, prayer, memory verse, etc. You might say, well, the flesh is coming back again. That's the idea. It's a spiritual battle. It's not like when you read the Bible, all of a sudden it goes away. It doesn't come suddenly. It comes in with a fight. It comes in with a struggle. And it does work guarantee. It's like when you're dying and then you're going through a surgery treatment it is a long struggle and a process. It's not sudden or immediate, but it does work and it will help you when you're bleeding and dying. That's the idea. It does work the spiritual nature inside you, but it's a struggle, it's a fight, and it's a process. And you need to keep doing that. So if you do this, it will help you tremendously in your Christian walk. As much as I want to park here, uh, that should be enough information because i got to keep going. But I hope this has been extremely helpful for you Amen. to live in the Christian walk in victory, in much more joy and confidence. Let's look at verse 25. Now, look at this. This is so important. This matches uh, with Romans chapter 6. We're going to turn there. Romans 6 is the best chapter concerning about the victorious Christian life, how to conquer trial and temptation is Romans 6. Ephesians 4 goes hand in hand with Romans 6 in the following explanation. When you put on the new man, the reason why that's necessary is because if you don't do something spiritual, you will go back to something carnal. Now, the problem with Alcoholics Anonymous and the problem uh, with a lot of other uh, rehabs and other things is that to conquer addictions, some people think, I just stopped cold turkey. I just stopped. But that's, to be honest, that's not how life works. You're not. If you 
get rid of your temptation, you have to replace that old desire with a different desire. That's a guarantee because you are made to long after something. You have to have a replacement somewhere. You can't just survive cold turkey by yourself. Some people could do it. There are cases, but trust me, that's not the natural way to do it. That's not the normal way of doing things. And those are uh, less than diamond than a dozen. You have to replace it with something. And that's the problem with AA is that they replace it not with, some, not with God. They replace it with God, but it's anybody's version of God. It's not the God of the Bible. Now look at Romans 6. That's why it shows you have to replace it with something. Notice that verse... Mm, we should start with verse 6. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 6, 6, first secret to conquer sin and get the victorious Christian life. If you've already learned this in your basic, in your beginner's discipleship, and if you don't know now, you should mark it down now. It's to know that your body of sin is destroyed. It has no control over you. You've got to believe in that. You've got to know it. Because if you don't even believe or know that, then you're not you're going to fall. The second step is verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. So, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, the second secret is where you apply it. You make, if you know you're dead, then make yourself dead to the sin. You see dead corpses uh, in the graveyards. They don't smoke, dance, they can't sin anymore. You know why? They're dead. So, make it dead to you. But you can't just keep doing that. I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. No, you can't keep doing that when there's a crave in there. So that crave needs to be replaced. Verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. You need to yield. That's the last secret. You need to yield to the spiritual nature inside you. Spiritual nature inside you says go to church because you know it's good for you. That's why you've been backsliding all this time. You need to go out and soul win. That's the reason why that you've been slow in your soul winning. That Go out and uh, read your Bible, pray. See that? So you need to yield to that. That's why look at verse 25 back at Ephesians 4. Look at this. Back at Ephesians 4 verse 25. Wherefore, put on, putting away lying, right? It matches with Romans 6. You, make your, you know you're dead and you make yourself dead. So you put away lying. Ephesians 4, they don't talk about knowing and make it dead. They just call it putting it off. Okay? You put away lying, but you can't just stop lying if you're a liar, especially if you're a habitual liar. You need to replace it with something else. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. You, now you need to replace that with speaking the truth. So if you're at a constant habit of lying, you can't just put away lying and that's it. Oh, I'll stop lying. No, that's not how it works. You need to replace it with something else. Start speaking truthfully. Speak the truth. And then it'll get rid of lying. This verse says, speak every man truth with his neighbor. So to each other, you need to speak truth with his neighbor. Why does it say neighbor? Because you're the body of Christ. Read this. For we are members one of another. See, because we're all saved Christians, members of the body of Christ, you're a neighbor. Uh, this hand is neighbor to the arm. You know that? 
This hand is the neighbor to the arm, so don't lie, all right? So don't lie to me, church, all right? Don't lie to me, church, when you come to church. And that's the same thing with the pastor when he preaches and teaches, which is what 99% of pastors are guilty of, right? Nowadays, lying to the members. Why? So they can build up a membership. Look at verse 26. Be angry and sin not. So verse 26, you have to get rid of anger. A lot of times when we get angry, uh, we sin. But this verse actually says the opposite here. It says be angry. You're supposed to be angry. Why? And sin not. The idea is some people think anger is a sin, but that's not the whole truth. Anger is a sin when it's used for sin. But when anger is used for righteousness and holiness, it's a right anger. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. With the wicked every day, you think he's a sinner then? He's sinning every day? No. So anger is necessary. People always get angry at me when I get angry online when I teach and preach. So who's the hypocrite there? <laughs> Some of you onlineers got to think about that. Anger is necessary to point out sin. As long as the anger is not sinning. Be angry and sin not. But look at the next part. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The righteous indignation is correct as long as it's controlled. The controlling thing is don't let the sun go. Don't let your anger continue when the sun goes down as you're very wrathful. So see, the idea is it goes on for all day long. Because that anger is very is a very unhealthy anger now. That becomes like a grudge and a bitterness and something you're going to hold and you're going to keep. That becomes dangerous. That's dangerous. You, you want to put that away from you. And that's not righteous indignation. That becomes bitterness and that becomes a grudge. And you know what? Some Christians, uh, the worst thing that you can ever have in church, and I hear this so many times in preaching, I see this in... Nearly every church that I go to, the worst thing that can ever infect your life is this anger inside you that's an unconscious anger and it continues on and that bitterness and grudge is still edged inside you. You've got to really put that away from you, especially when we come to verse 32. We'll cover that. Uh, you got to forgive and you got to reconcile. You got to put under the blood. You know, uh, believe it or not, there are a few, uh, there are a few members... Uh, within my church that did something wrong against me and uh, I just covered it under the blood and they never even reconciled with me. But I just reconciled with them in my heart. And you know what? Those, what makes it worse is that those same people don't even know they did the wrong against me. Earlier they know they did, but then uh, later on they just forget as time flies. And that hurts even more. But you know what helps me so much is we're gonna, I'm going to explain more at verse 32. That's why forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness and reconciliation. You, not that other person. That other person, it's up to between them and God. But you have to do that. Because your bitterness is more important than that person. Your health, your spiritual well-being is more important than that person. It is so important to do that, church. You need to do that. That way you can get along with each other. Especially how many times you've sinned against God and you've forgotten about it. You've forgotten about it and you don't even realize the wrong and the hurt you did against God, but God forgave it and forgot about it. Man, that's got to humble you. All right, going back. 
And uh, we should close it off here. Neither give place to the devil. That is extremely important. So, people think that I justify anger. I don't. Anger, it has to be justified in the sense when there's a righteous indignation. But the anger that is so dangerous is that it goes for a lifelong process of 24-7. I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes told you there is a time when you hate something and love something, it's a time to hate and a time to love. That is so important. Times that anger should show. Not all time long, <laughs> 24-7. So if this anger goes 24-7, the dangerous thing is it's giving place to the devil. I understand more and more now when Dr. Uppman says the worst enemies you can have, and he believes in demon possession of Christians, and I believe that too, and that all stems from, oh boy, there is absolutely no room here, but that all stems from bitterness and grudge and the anger going on forever and ever and ever and ever, and that is never reconciled. The devil takes advantage of that. And you become the, the most demon-possessed person that people has ever seen. There is such thing as Judases in church. People who are soul-winning, Bible-believing, know all the right doctrines, preach super awesome and super good. And I know some of those preachers who are like that too, but guess what? I'm not buddy-buddy with some of them. You know why? Because those same people, they've done some kind of hurt to me or to my Bible-believing friends. And when that happens, man, I mean, I don't get along with them anymore, but I don't let it become an anger where it becomes a grudge and a bitterness. That's extremely dangerous because then the devil will take advantage of me. But it happens with those same people that I don't get along with. The devil takes advantage of them, and then they become the most demon-possessed people that I just get so baffled, and I go, what's the matter with you? Especially, listen up now, especially those same people act all charitable and make you look like the bad guy. Those are the worst. I don't like those people, period. Those kind of people, they'll say that I graduated from PBI and, you know, they'll try to draw on boards, you know, to make themselves like a Bible believer and they'll teach from the King James Bible, teach dispensational truth, etc., etc. But those kind of same people who uh, you know, had problems long time ago, with some of my Bible-believing peers back then, and then they let that thing continue on, and that problem that happened a long time ago, they pretend they're the good guys. They pretend they're the charitable bunch, and they make those other people like they're misunderstanding. They're hateful. Why won't they get along with me, etc.? Because you still got a problem. That's why. So that's why some Bible-believing preachers, they cannot get along with other Bible-believing preachers. I don't know if you knew that. Because it's not just doctrinal issues, it's more personal issues. That's a bit deeper thing among Bible-believing preachers. Uh, that's a sad thing. That's why there has to be what God says, unity in the body of Christ. That is essentially important. What helps it immensely is reconciliation and forgiveness. And reconciliation and forgiveness don't just come easily. You have to earn it and you have to prove it as well. It is extremely important to do these things. 
There are those pretenders who want to reconcile and unite, but pretenders are worse. That becomes more dangerous than no. Keep your distance. <laughs> Keep your distance. That becomes a worse. But the idea is, is that if you're truly reconciling, truly uh, uniting, you have to tr truly repent. You have to prove it. You have to really say you're sorry. And you have to make things right. And if, if everyone did that for each other, we'd live in a much happier world. But that's not how things work, sadly. It is important that, especially within the church, uh, that you do that as Bible-believing brethren, because we're going to be here a long time till the rapture, unless the Lord sounds out tomorrow. We know that the times, seeing all the things that are happening, that, man, I mean, we're just this much closer to the rapture. But as we keep thinking that, I notice how much more divisive the Bible-believing body is. They're even more. And maybe the problem is, is that we think the rapture is just around the corner and we don't make time to reconcile. So it's important that we get along with each other and keep fighting the devil. Don't give place to the devil. That's very dangerous. All right, I have, to, uh, I have to keep commenting on verse 27 later on. Well, actually, I'll wrap it up with this. Verse 27, then, is proof of demon possession for the Christian. I kind of indicated that. A lot of people don't believe in that, but the idea is, the reason why they don't believe in that is because they think that the Holy Spirit's inside you, so how can the devil and the Holy Spirit live together? It doesn't make sense. Can the temple of God agree with idols? It doesn't make sense. But that's their problem. Their problem is, is that, they think that when God lives inside you, the devil lives in the same place. That's not the idea. There's a dividing line they forget. It's called spiritual circumcision. The flesh is not part of the fleshly nature. That is extremely important to understand. People who think that Christians cannot be devil-possessed because God and devil are living both inside you, which doesn't make sense. That's a dangerous thinking. You're thinking that God is a part of your flesh. No, God is not a part of the wicked flesh. Flesh is filled with sin and evil. God is never a part of that. He put a dividing line where the spiritual nature is divided from the fleshly nature. So outside of this dividing line, it's all nothing but filth and wickedness. The thoughts and the imaginations are wicked and evil. And Satan, he can take advantage of that. Well, I don't believe the devil can go inside you. No, the devil can go inside you. Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. See, demon possession, what does that mean? It me demon possession, what does that basically mean? The devil going inside you. Look at verse 27. You're giving, what does place mean? A place means, whenever you look at everywhere in the Bible, it's somewhere where a person inhabits. It's inside. They're inhabiting. See that? That's devil possession. That's demon possession. So, you, why did Paul warn at verse uh, 17 through 19 not to walk like other Gentiles in the worst kinds of sins? See, it is so possible. It is very possible. That's why a Christian has to be very careful. Demon possession for a Christian is an important doctrine to understand because it makes you more careful of that enemy and to be very careful of your Christian walk and be more alert. Not believing in that makes you less alert about spiritual warfare, so it is extremely important. Okay, let's close it with a word of prayer. I went over the time. I apologize. God, my Father, I pray that today's teachings were a blessing to the hearers increased our knowledge of the scriptures and truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, everybody.